0: All right, hey, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. You've been sitting for a little bit. We do this from time to time, both to help you shake a leg and also to help you help us also acknowledge that there is a, a posture that is also appropriate to take when we sit under the Word of God, and sometimes we stand under it. We stand before the Word of God, and He speaks to us. Hear God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 9 through 14 is where we are this morning. Will be on the screen for you as I read out loud. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed in the judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this ends the reading of God's holy, errant, and infallible word. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. You, though, may be seated. Uh, We're talking about wisdom again this morning. We're going to spend two weeks on this final section of Ecclesiastes. The tone changes and the speaker's voice changes in these last five or six verses. Chapter 12, verse 8 ends what is the section that begins in chapter 1, verse 2 and goes through chapter 12, verse 8, in which we hear from the teacher, Koheleth, but then either the teacher has speaking one more time as kind of an epilogue to his teaching or an editor Uh, who has put together the book of Ecclesiastes, is speaking. Either way, this is the final word and the final phrase in which the teacher and the preacher of Ecclesiastes is speaking to us. And we have been looking at wisdom. We started last week as we kind of circled the airport trying to get us a better sense of what wisdom even is. This week, we're going to continue to look at wisdom. We defined wisdom this way last week. Wisdom is the skill in applying knowledge of God's insight and God's understanding of the world it's submitting to God's view of those things and knowing how to live it out today. No, the skill in applying knowledge of God's insight and God's understanding. So you have to know God and know how he views the world. So you can get a lot of knowledge that can help you be worldly wise, but biblically wise you have to have God's perspective on the world and how it works and submit to God's view and then know how to live in light of that today. That is wisdom And so the call is this, we looked at it last week, briefly, and so the challenge for us today is get wisdom. Now if you wait to get wisdom, understand this, that if you wait until you have really hard and important decisions in life, the big decisions of life, the kind of big crossing points, then it is going to be too late. And it's It's interesting because of the lack of wisdom and the lack of emphasis we now put on wisdom within so much of the Christian church and the Christian culture that we have run after some pretty junky substitutes to making decisions and discerning God's will for our life. Let me give you an example of how this often works. One of the most often questions I get or things I'm asked to speak about is this question. What is God's will for my life? And usually what this means is someone wants to know, hey, I I got a big question. I got a big decision to make, and I'm trying to understand which way to go. And the question is, how how do people usually express themselves when they come to a point of decision like this? What are the, what's the phraseology that we often use as Christians to express what we are leaning on to show what we have leaned on to make our, help us make a decision? Well, here, let me give you three ways people often express themselves. One, one way people say it is, well, I'm praying about this and I don't have peace about it. They don't have that peaceful feeling about the decision. Or the opposite, well, I pray about this, well, I prayed about it, but I, I, and I have peace, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it because I feel good about it. Is that feeling God telling me that this thing is his will and that this is good for my life? Others look for a sign. I'm asking God for a sign. And when this happened last week, I thought maybe that was the sign of him telling me how I, how I was supposed to make this decision in my life. Others, others take a far more biblical approach to it, which is they open their Bible, they close their eyes, and they point somewhere. And they hope by looking through the lines that they can figure out God's will for their life. In fact, there's an old joke there's an old joke, it's not a really funny one, about the person who did this while trying to find God's will for their life. So this man closed his eyes, and he opened his Bible, and he put his finger down, and when he opened his eyes, his finger was pointing at the verse that said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, he thought that wouldn't do, and that is not very good. This is not the context of my decision, so let's do it. Let's give it another chance. And so he closed his eyes, and he's He opened his Bible, and he put his finger down, and he opened his eyes and looked again, and the next verse said, go and do likewise. Well, he said, that's not very funny. That seems like an odd and pretty terrifying coincidence, so I'm going to have to give it one more chance. So he closed his eyes, and he turned to a page, and he put his finger down, and he opened his eyes, and the verse said, and what thou doest, do quickly. Now, certainly suicide is not a joking matter, but you get my point, right? In these scenarios, what these folks are doing in these various, and what we're saying and how we go about trying to discern God's will and make decisions of our life, the reason why we're having to look to these things is because we lack wisdom. We are looking to feelings and hunches and signs in the sky and using the Bible as a Christian Ouija board because we have failed to value Christian wisdom. So get it. Get it. Now, the challenge we face as soon as we come to a place of going, yes, I would like some wisdom. I should grow in wisdom. I should go about that. You very quickly realize that this is not something that you can simply order off the spiritual fast food menu. It is not you can go, I would like some wisdom now. Now, God says if you want wisdom, you should ask him, but it doesn't mean he's immediately going to give it to you for whatever decision you have today. You see, the Bible talks about wisdom not so much as something that's gonna be spoon-fed to you, but as a pathway in which you must walk. And that pathway, as you walk it, you will learn wisdom as you go. Wisdom comes from walking down the pathway and learning wisdom. It takes a while. In fact, this is how God often in the Bible talks about the Christian life, as a walk, as a pathway, as a pilgrimage, as a journey. What is the metaphor telling us? Well, it's telling us that if you want to grow in wisdom, that you need to take part in some steady, repeated, mundane, even boring actions of going right, left, right, Left. Simple rhythms of life to learn wisdom. Walking with God to learn wisdom. The Bible says you have to learn it. You have to learn it. The Bible says here's how God does guidance He brings you into His school. He gives you his word, he teaches you, he forms you, he shapes your desires, he transforms your mind, he transforms your affections, he teaches you how to view the world, and as he does so, you know what? You learn how to make decisions in your life. You grow in wisdom. You learn wisdom. So wisdom, therefore, can never happen very quickly. It has to be learned over time. There are no shortcuts. You have to go to God's school. So, if you're going to learn wisdom, it's going to take time, you got to... You got to learn it, and you got to grow in it. So, how do we learn wisdom? I'm going to give you three points this morning as to how we learn wisdom. Learning wisdom comes first from listening. First from listening to the words of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, chapter twelve, verse nine. Says this. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. In other words, what he's saying is the whole goal of Ecclesiastes, with all of his teaching and all of his wisdom, has been to tell you, to help you, to speak to you about what is wise, the right perspective on life and the things of this world. He has been speaking, and for 12 chapters now. And the question, though, is, are you listening? He has spoken, and are you listening? This is what the psalms. I mean, the proverbs speaks over and over and over again. In fact, the first like eight chapters of proverbs, nine chapters of proverbs is essentially one long call to the proverbs father speaking to his son, saying, "Get wisdom." And you know where he get it? He said, "You listen, you listen, and you listen." For example, in Proverbs chapter three, verse one, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Listen to my words, don't forget them. You know, what the book of Proverbs was, was was probably a manual for a boys' school where they were learning wisdom, where they were learning wisdom, they were being taught. And therefore, the application point for us is this, is to surround yourself, seek out, and listen to the words of the wise find them. They usually come with gray hairs and wrinkles under their eyes. You have to have mentors. You have to have counselors. The way of the fool is one who believes that they are wise already. And they will follow their own advice. Proverbs chapter three, verse seven. Again, the father speaking to his son, he says, "Be wise, not not be, do not be wise in your own eyes." And said, "Fear the Lord and turn away from evils." You see what that verse is telling you. The fool is an individualist who believes that I can do life on my own. The fool is someone saying, "I don't need someone's advice. I know my own mind. I know what I want. I know what the right thing is to do." A wise person is not wise in their own eyes, and so they go and they find counselors and then mentors and advisors, and they surround themselves with friends who are doing, this, doing likewise. God has not designed you to do life on your own, and our individualistic way of thinking is making us to be a very unwise group of people. When you belong to God, you belong to his family. And so he brings you into God's church, and he tells the older ones to care for the younger ones and to lead them and to guide them, right? That's Titus 2. May the older women teach the younger women. Proverbs was with parents to train younger ones. For older members of the church to teach the younger members of the community, it's what's going on in the backs of our facilities right now. It's what I constantly need to be doing. You're always growing in wisdom, right? There's not some point in which you have figured it all out. For example, one of the things that I've discovered in watching my parents as adult growing as parents of adult children is I've realized that you're always a first-time parent. Always. And you know what? I'm a a first-time parent, and so one of the things I'm about to face in the next couple of years is I'm going to have teenagers in my house. And when teenagers, they get a little bit older, and they begin to notice that there's other things called Boys. And they find themselves interested in them. And so I have a question. I'm about to enter a season in which I have to go, when do I let my child date? And the answer is, I do not know. I am not wise. And so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to ask men in our church who have gone before me, what did you do? What worked well? What would you do differently? What was a disaster? Because I will need to get wisdom by listening to others, you're at a Presbyterian church. It is the nerdiest of all church names because it's based on a Greek word called Greek word presbuteros. Yeah, you can't. You know, it's easy for me to say presbuteros. It means elder, bishops. In other words, in the very name of our church, we the thing we want to lead with apparently is that we are elder led. I have no idea why this is what we lead with, but it is. But what it means is this is you don't follow me, you follow a we. And that is a good thing. Because there is wisdom in having older men, older than me, and men who gather together and can have each other's ear and each other's counsel. It's better than just me running wild on my own. And all God's people said... Amen. You learn by listening to the wise words because they speak a beautiful truth. He says, he goes on in verse 10 and verse 11. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is writing Bible. And so what we're saying is not only do, not only do you listen to wise people, but if you want to grow in wisdom, you have to be a student of the word. He is now the mouthpiece of God. God's speaking through this teacher, giving us wisdom, The Bible tells us the wise man is a good listener and he especially inclines his ear and he builds his life upon the truth of God's word. That is where you will learn wisdom. For example, Jesus tells this parable, a little vignette, so to speak, where he says two men built identical houses. While one man builds his house on a solid foundation, the other does not. Outwardly, the houses look the same, but one is a wise man and the other is a fool. And sure enough, one day a storm comes. The houses look the same, and everything looks good until the storm comes, and then the life of the one who built his house on the word of God is revealed to be a wise man, and the one who built his house on the sand of the world is shown to be a fool. So listen to the word of God, which means you come to church, you hear the word preached, you sing it you hear about the word you go to community group and you discuss it you get on your knees in the mornings and you open it you memorize it you learn god's word and over a period of time you know what you will find after years and years and years of sitting at the feet of jesus you just might grow wise psalm chapter 19 verse 7 says the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple are you simple than getting God's word. You study, and you ask for help, and you listen. And lastly, it's also very important, because this is the final step of listening, you listen even when it's painful. You listen to the words of truth even when it hurts. It says this in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed of the collected sayings. You'll never be wise without knowing trouble. Suffering is the great school of wisdom without enduring some pain, without having to reckon with some uncomfortable truths about yourselves and about the world and about your life and its trajectory. It is often no fun to have somebody convict you and challenge you. And this is what the teacher's been doing, isn't it? These sermons in Ecclesiastes have not exactly been a bunch of like happy, happy, joy, joy, right? It's been death and prosperity and, and happiness. These things are here today and gone tomorrow. Blech. This is life, he says. These are not the things that we like to hear. We have been building our life on our power and our wealth and our relationships, and we're thinking, this is what's going to make me happy, and this is what's going to give me the good life. And he's saying they are vanity, and that's hard to hear. The words of truth, he uses the image here of goads. You know, a goad is what a shepherd uses or to kind of move a sheep around, to get them back in line. They stab them. They stick them and say, hey, You're about to walk off a cliff, so why don't I get on this side of you and stick you this way so that you go that way? Hey, I'm trying to guide you to green pastures. These things, this field is full of clover that's going to kill you. This is good over here. And so we need the pain, the pain of good teachers and mentors and friends who would enter our lives and say, tell tell us things that we don't want to hear. Goats tell us the direction of our life that we simply don't appreciate hearing about. It's never fun, is it? especially when God uses other people to do it. Goats tell us the truth about the world that we find very inconvenient. The goats tell us that we are small, that we are dust, that life is passing away, and that hurts our feelings, doesn't it? The good teacher does not simply use words, but he also allows, the good teacher allows us to endure some suffering in our life. He allows the students to go through pain Because pain is often the best and quickest teacher of wisdom, he disciplines us. For example, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says this, This father to the son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And isn't this true? That pain is such a teacher and God often allows us to go through it in order to make us more wise. Think about this, one of the great, one of the most important things, whether it's from a biblical standpoint or simply from a worldly wisdom standpoint, if you want to be successful, if you want to be wise, is you need to know yourself. But that process of learning to know yourself is almost always painful. For example, one of my children, you know, one of the things I'm not excited about watching over the next 10 to 15 years is as my children walk through this reality of going, oh, wait, I'm not as good at that sport as I thought I was. I'm not going to make it. I'm not as smart. I used to think I was the smartest person in the classroom, and now I'm not. These are painful lessons, but they are incredibly important lessons for directing us. I'm not good at math, but I'm really good at writing. That is wisdom, because that tells me the direction that I should lead and live my life. Pain. Wisdom does not avoid suffering. It transforms suffering into greater wisdom. The Greek poet in White. Aeschylus said this, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our despair, almost against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Some of you have experienced the convicting power of the awful grace of God and it is hurt and it is stung. But it's the way of wisdom. You learn to see conviction and confrontation and suffering and disappointment. These are a gift to you from the hand of God. For our high school students, for those of them that will walk and, and follow Jesus at the end of college, you know what? My guess, if, if you were to hear their testimony in five or six years, those who are seniors and they go off to college, here's what, and they're gonna come, to sh- if they were to share in five or six years their testimony of how they're still walking with Jesus, I guarantee you, here are the three things that will be a part of that testimony. Some, there's this, these patterns. One, they, got, they will speak of the seasons of difficulty and suffering. two, Critical relationships in the midst of that suffering. And three, the conviction of God's word. And I know this because I've sat and listened to your, the, the, the membership interviews of CO student after CO student after CO student, and they have all three of these all the time. What does every college student say every year? Last year was the hardest year of my life. Because it was. Until next year. So, have you surrounded yourself with the wise? Do you saturate yourself in the word, and when the wise friends and mentors in the word stings you, do you submit yourself to the pain of their discipline? Now, so if you want to learn wisdom, you got to listen. You got to listen when it, even when it hurts. Now, often our mind, if we think about growing in wisdom, where, we, where do we go? We got to reading books, right? Knowledge. I got to grow in knowledge, and you do need to do that, and there is wisdom there. You know, in the wisdom literature of the Bible so often it doesn't simply just refer to you got to read some stuff. It actually speaks about wisdom as a person. And actually it, the extension of wisdom is almost always done in a relational way. For example, Proverbs is a father to a son, Ecclesiastes is teachers to students, and Job is friends to friends. And so it is in our text today. What is the name given to the one who goads us with, with wise words? He is called here the one shepherd the one shepherd, the wise shepherd speaking to us, his foolish sheep. Learning wisdom comes from listening, but also from following the shepherd. This is the second thing. If you're going to grow in wisdom, you got to follow the shepherd. Chapter, verse 11. These words of wisdom are goads and they're given to us by the one shepherd. It is the first time we actually see this word shepherd in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, It could be a reference to the preacher who has written the book, but that is unlikely because every other time in which the word shepherd is used in this particular grammar in this passage, it is always referring to God. Especially when it refers to the one shepherd, it is always used of God in the scriptures it refers to the, and specifically it also refers to the promised one who will be a descendant of David who will come and be the good and perfect and wise shepherd that we so desperately need in other words it seems likely the shepherd mentioned here is none other than God himself which is why in some of your translations in your bible the word one shepherd is capitalized and that descendant of David arrives in this world so that he might have a relationship with us and extend to us wisdom not just in word but in his life. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I am the good shepherd. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is in this context where he's arguing with Pharisees, as he is often wont to do because they pick a fight. And he says something about Solomon. Solomon is like the character that is lauded in Ecclesiastes and the one who wrote most many of the Proverbs. And he says, the Bible tells us the psalm was so wise that the kings and the queens from all over the earth came to sit at the feet of his wisdom, including a woman named the Queen of Sheba. She was known as the Queen of the South, which means she probably came up from somewhere in Africa. And so Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says this in chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 42, the Queen of the South will rise up to the judgment with this generation and she will condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus is looking at him and said, listen, Gentiles who are not followers of me, they were willing to cross continents in order to get the earthly wisdom of Solomon, and I am standing here, Jesus as the one who is the profanification of wisdom in your midst, and you, all you're doing is fighting me when I'm trying to extend to you the wisdom of God. You're not listening. And you know, this is actually seen in many places. One of the most most profound places in chapter is John chapter 1. You know, John chapter 1, many of us know we had to memorize John chapter 1 for the first couple of verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, the, the, the Word there is speaking of Jesus. You know what the Greek word for word is? Logos. You know how it's most often translated? Not word. Wisdom. It's how it's most often translated in the Greek language. You could translate it, therefore, John 1, 1 through 4 in this way. In the beginning was wisdom, and wisdom was with God, and wisdom was God, and wisdom became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the point is this. If you want wisdom, you need Jesus. Wisdom is not found through some technique. It is not just three easy steps to the wise life. You see, wisdom is not simply idea. Wisdom is a person that you need to get to know. And therefore, to learn wisdom, it takes a long day in, day out, year after year walk at the side of Jesus. Wisdom comes from following the path of Jesus. Not simply just listening to what he says, but doing what he does. For he lives the perfectly wise life. To us, it looks like foolishness. But he is the very wisdom of God. This is why it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul tells us that Jesus is the very, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Jesus is the door into a vast cavern in which what is there is treasure upon hidden treasure of insight and understanding about you and about the world and how it works and how you live best here. There's an old story about a wealthy Roman who got so disgusted with his son that he disinherited him. And he said, instead he made his slave Marcellus the recipient of his wealth. But he wanted to tell his son this before he died. He didn't want to hide the fact that he had disinherited his son and then have everyone find out after he died. So right before he died, he called his son to him and said, you're not gonna get anything. Marcellus is gonna inherit everything. But here's what I'm gonna do for you, son. As one last parting gift, I'm gonna allow you one thing. I will let you request it. One thing of mine, what would you like me to give you? And the son said, I would like to own Marcellus. You see, the son may have been a fool, but he was wise enough to know that if you got Marcellus, you got everything else. And so it is with us. If you get Jesus, you get the treasure's of knowledge and wisdom and insight. You get eternal life. You get a Father who favors you. You get enduring, wise presence of the Holy Spirit with you. You get righteousness and forgiveness of sins. You get a clean conscience. You get a future, and you get access to the Father and to the Son who say, I will provide wisdom for you. And so wisdom is found in walking with the wise shepherd Jesus. Now, if you think that is easy, and if you think that is simple, then you are probably not doing it. If you want to see what it looks like, go read the Gospels and watch how the Jesus and the disciples, how he teaches them wisdom. If you're the sheep, the shepherd shows up. He doesn't say, listen, he says what to the disciples. Whenever he calls them to himself, he says, follow me. Take up a cross and follow me. That doesn't sound like fun. And if you look at the relationship between Jesus and his disciples, it's not a cold one where he is distant and aloof and sending them messages from out in a cave. No, wisdom is imparted by doing life with them side by side, walking with them, talking with them, eating, drinking, helping, and serving alongside them. Jesus heals, and he says, you guys go heal. And then when you don't do it very well, come back and let's talk about it. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, and he sends them out to go talk about the kingdom of God. And when they don't do it very well, he calls them back in and says, well, let's talk about it. And they come back and they talk about it. And then side by side, walking together in relationship with Jesus is then punctuated by these very difficult moments when people, Jesus looks at people like Peter and he goes, get thee behind me, Satan. And I, my guess is that hurt Peter's feelings. That's called a goad. Yes, Jesus is wise and he is loving and he is good, but that doesn't mean he ain't going to cut you. Just think about the scene when he restores Peter to ministry. Remember Peter, the night before Jesus dies, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, ha, 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 I'm better than that. I'm wise, Peter says. And know what he goes out and does? And he denies Jesus three times. Jesus dies. Peter is being rather stained offish with Jesus for the first couple times. He sees them. And then Jesus shows up one morning when Peter is out fishing. He calls Jesus to the shore and he said, I made you breakfast. And then he pulls Peter alongside and he said, Peter, do you love me? He asked it once. And then he looks at Peter and again he goes, Peter, do you love me? He asked it twice. Peter, do you love me? He asked it three times. Ouch. But what were those words for? They were painful. But they were words to restore. You see, Jesus Jesus will bring painful words and painful places into your life. He is the shepherd who is willing to lead you into the valley of the shadow of death so that you might know that he's actually near you and so that you might incline your ears to him. Now the question is, in the valley of the shadow of death, when he has brought you to a place where his word or his way in your life is teaching you wisdom, but it is so, so, so painful, how do you stay there? You have to know that he is good. That's what John chapter 10 verse 11 says. Because not only does it say he is a shepherd, it says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You can trust him, and you can entrust your life into his hands. Even when it says, go take up a cross, and you go, that's foolish. And he says, I know, my way looks foolish. But I am the good shepherd, and I have gone before you. And I'm going to bring life, even through pain, in your life. You see, some of you know wise people, but you're not friends with them. Some of you have friends, but they are not wise. What you need is the perfectly wise friend, and he is your good shepherd. And so we sing, as we're going to sing in a few minutes, Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Wisdom comes with walking with Jesus. Well, lastly, wisdom is learned by listening to the words of wisdom, following the shepherd of wisdom, and lastly, wisdom... Wisdom comes by actually ending your search for it. Doesn't mean you don't end the growth in it, you end the search for it. In other words, you have you have the word and you have Jesus. That should be enough. Chapter 12, verse 12, verse 13, it says, This, my son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. He says, I've reached the end of learning, and here's what I found. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We're going to look at fear God and keep his commandments next week. But the teacher would certainly want us to be a people of knowledge. He encourages that in other places in Ecclesiastes. Read books. Grow in knowledge and insight and understanding. That is a key ingredient to wisdom in this world. But he's saying books will only get you so far. And then he drives to his final point. This is the end of the matter. Enough. You have to come to a place in life, he says, in which you have studied enough, evaluated enough, assessed the meaning of life, had enough discussions, processed enough that you need to come to a place where you said, I will fear the Lord and I will obey him. And that is where wisdom is found. In other words, in this transition, what he is saying to the very last point that he's making, at this point, he's saying, You have to make up your mind. At some point, you have to say, I'm gonna put my feet down in some place, in some place where I'm gonna find wisdom and I'm gonna trust someone to lead my life. And this is where I land. This is the pathway of wisdom. I'm gonna walk down it. I'm not gonna take three feet and then step back out and go down another path. No, I'm gonna take the path and this is where I'm going. And this is where I will follow. Paul says this, he's an old pastor. Speaking to Timothy, he was a young pastor. In his last recorded letter, Paul is writing to this young pastor, and he says this, There are those who are always learning, but they are never arriving at the truth. There are those in this world who believe they are wise, and not just wise, but academically and intellectually, they are very cool and superior, but they have never landed on anything. Tim Keller says it's cool to search for God, but it's uncool to find him. It's really cool to search for God, but it's uncool to find Him. In his novel, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes a man from the suburbs of hell. If you understand The Great Divorce, is, it's a picture, it's a story. Different people from heaven and different people from hell. Well, this guy lives in, he describes hell as like this place, right? Just like heaven is another city, hell is this other location, this other city. Well, this guy lives in a suburb of hell. It's a very nice place. He has spent his whole life seeking the truth, or so he says. Now this one man is wandering somewhere near the borders of heaven. He's outside the suburb, but he's, he's kind of outside of heaven. He's kind of outside the city walls, where by the gracious invitation of the Spirit of God, he's actually invited to enter in. And here's how the dialogue goes. The Spirit warns him, I'm not inviting you into a land of questions, but a land of answers. For there you shall see the very face of God. But the seeker said this, Ah, We must all interpret those beautiful words in our own way. For me, there is no such thing as a final answer. The free wind of your inquiry must always continue to blow through the mind, must it not? The Spirit of God says, listen, once you were a child and once you knew what inquiry was for, there was a time when you asked questions because you actually wanted answers, and you were glad when you found those answers. Become that child again, even now. The seeker said, but when I became a man... I put away such childish things. And then it goes on in the account, it says the conversation suddenly ends when the man remembers that he has an appointment. He apologizes to the spirit and he hurries off to a discussion group in hell. In other words, who are these? These are the coffee shop philosophers. Those who go to college and who take classes but they never commit to a truth. But there's an even more insidious version of them. They're the kids who sit in Sunday school for year in and year out. They're raised in Sunday school and they've listened to the VBS songs. They've attended youth group week in and week out. They've been to camp in they did now and they've heard it all. And they have never put their feet down. You've never turned in the direction of the pathway of Jesus and said, listen, I've had 18 years. I've had plenty of opportunities to choose my pathway You've never said I'm going to put my feet in this direction and I will walk with him, I will follow him. He is my wisdom, he is my life, he is my truth. And so here's my call to you 15, 16, 17 year olds. But perhaps most urgently, I said kind of jokingly last week that these three sermons on wisdom is for you graduates. It's time. It's time. It's time to actually put your money and your life at the feet of Jesus you've sat long enough and you're about to leave, it's decision time. Choose a path now or you're gonna have hell to pay. There's gonna be great and grievous things over the next couple of years if you don't choose now. There's the way of wisdom and you can live in it now. And it will direct your course. Even when it's not clear, it will direct your course. So here's how I might recommend a way that you can do this. Yes, in your heart of hearts, you can say, "Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you." Do that first and foremost. But we just had a six-year-old and eleven-year-old show you the way this morning. Come and meet with the elders and say, "I've heard it. Jesus is the way." Profess your faith and tell your story, and then come and stand before God's people and say, "Where my life is going, He lead." Will you listen to his voice? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray.